You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on episode 250 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the all-wheel drive VW ID4, the Chevy Bolt, the Mercedes-Benz GLS 450, the 2023 Toyota Sequoia, the Buick Wildcat EV concept, and the new Lexus RX, and more. All that coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia, and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 250 of Wheelbearings. I'm Sam Rupal-Samit from Guidehouse Insights. I am Nicole Wakelin from the Fast Women Podcast. And I am Roberto Baldwin. Let's say The Verge this week. And I don't what, what I said last week. But <laughs> and what have you been driving, Mr. Baldwin? Mr. Baldwin has been driving the 2022 Chevy Bolt. Uh, oh. You may have, uh, I don't know, I'm sure we talked about it. In fact, I'm sure we did. In fact, I remember we did. Um, I had this vehicle, maybe not this exact one, a while ago. And they dropped it off at my house. And I think... I think I might have taken it to the store, which is like a quarter of a mile from my house, to like pick something up, and I brought it back, and I immediately got an email from Chevy. Oh, that's they right. Had, they had done a huge recall on everything, every Chevy Bolt, and they're like, "Don't park it in your garage. Don't <laughs> plug it in. Don't do anything. Don't fire, put any fire, kin- fire. Don't put any kindling around it. Don't leave any fireworks <laughs> in the trunk. There was a long list of things. That, well, yeah. And they came in. He took it away. All right. God. So, uh, well, Chevy Bolt is back. They've replaced all the batteries at a great, great, great expense. Um, mostly to LG. <laughs> mostly LG Chem, which is, I mean, it's their problem, their fault. Pay for it. Um, yeah, so it, <laughs> it arrived again. At this point, though, it's so late. And initially when they were like, hey, do you want the Chevy Bolt? I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's too late for me to write a review. Yep. I'm not, you know, no one's going to want to buy a review from me on a car that's been out forever. 
And then they and then the fleet manager's like, hey, you, hey, you want the Chevy Bolt? You know what? While you while you're waiting for the Bolt EUV, and I'm like, you know what? Sure, bring it to my house because I need. You know, it'd be nice to sort of compare and contrast that versus the EUV. So I got it in for a weekish. Um, in order to compare it to the EUV, which whenever that becomes available, um, I will be driving. Um, the Chevy Bolt compared to the uh, first gen, um, pretty much the same, to be honest. Uh, I think the seats are far more comfortable. Uh, the first generation seats, they were super, they had they, they did this crazy thing where they made them really thin and they were kind of cool and they were fun to drive around in for about an hour. And then you're like, oh, these are, oof, ugh. <laughs> so the seats are more comfortable. Um, I think the ride quality is a little bit better uh, than before. Um, I, I remember the first, the the uh, the vehicle was uh, jarring enough that my wife uh, mentioned that it was uh, the ride was rougher than our BRZ. Oh jeez! Why is this car's <laughs> ride rougher than our Subaru? <laughs> I was like. Ah. Um, so no, it's gotten it's 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 a better vehicle. It's still not on the ultimate Ultium platform, unfortunately. It's still on the their sort of old uh, platform. This is you know one of the vehicles. Uh, this at 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 the time this was like we got this car from 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 idea to on the road and the quickest time ever. Now now Chevy or GM says the bright drop Zevo 600 is now the fastest vehicle they've gone from idea to to whatever. But it you know it's it's it compared to other EVs I mean it's got 200 and I believe it's 59 uh, yeah let me pull up the yes 250 miles of range which is pretty good uh, which that's not pretty good that's good that's a good that's a good amount of range for a vehicle uh, right now especially one that's not necessarily newish um, it's still it's the, the same, same basic car yeah, that, I think, that mm-hmm. they the launched first, in 2017. Yeah, it the other one was much. the other one had 66 kilowatts. This one has 65 kilowatts. No, the original Wait was 60. Minute. It went from 60, 60? to 65. So when Woo-hoo! they would go from 66 to 60, 65, there was a 66, they, and then no, it there was it was never 66. It was it was 60 originally. No, you guys, who's on first? Anyway. So now they got uh, anyway 250 miles, 65 kilowatts. I don't know if that's uh, gross or uh, or usable because Chevy or GM is just really weird about that stuff. Yeah, they, I, don't they, know why. I I think it's the the usable. And yeah, I think they they tell us usable. The gross is probably like I don't know 70 something. Um, good little car, you know. It's Android Auto, CarPlay. I did a uh, I did a I did my my usual mileage run. Yes, uh, how did it do? It did actually did, it did really well. I got 275 miles on my mileage run, but the caveat is that I end up getting stuck in traffic a lot more on this run because I did the the run later in the day than I typically do it. So it's it got you know that which means that it didn't do 70 miles an hour for as long as most other cars. So if you take that into account, it was probably I'm guessing it still would have gotten like probably like 260. It probably would have hit two, 259, 260. Okay. Is is uh, my my estimation? Um, that said, yeah, that's a good uh, range. The oh, the biggest problem with this vehicle is the charge rate, which is fifty five kilowatts. <sighs> that's that is, <laughs> that is that is that is a little slow, especially compared to you know the Hyundai Ionic Five and the Kia EV Six. Oh gosh, it's real slow compared to those. So it's it's it you know it's it's not quick when it comes to charging so if you're going on, on and you can do you can do a, a 
a road trip on, in this vehicle, but it's not going to be the range that's going to get you. It's going to be the sitting around waiting for your vehicle to charge that's going to at 55 kilowatts, which means, you know, most of the time you're, ne you know, you rarely hit that, that, you know, that top, top end uh, charge rate, you know, maybe at the beginning, maybe for a little while, but then it, you know, it sort of tapers off. If you're talking about 55, that means it's going to be, you know, you're sitting around waiting at 20 kilowatts, 25 <laughs> kilowatts, 30 kilowatts. And you're just like, ah, which is when you have, you know, when you have oh, anything over 200, you're like, awesome. Because if you hit 190, you're like, this is great. It's still awesome. <laughs> this is tapered off. What is <laughs> So, um, but, uh, and I'm going to talk about the price for about a hot second and then tell you that it's completely wrong. Um, I well, it's the, not wrong uh, yet. It, it it's will not be wrong soon. yet. Will it be wrong um, by the time this goes live? It goes wrong very soon, doesn't it? Um, goes wrong. <laughs> I'm it not sure. They, they haven't said exactly what the, what the date is when they're going to start shipping the, the 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 revised number. Yeah. So right. So I, this was the 2022 Bolt EV2 LT. They have the one LT and the two LT. I don't know why. <laughs> That's such a weird trim thing. One, the one. That, and the it's two a LTs. it's a GM thing. They've they've it's been doing GM. that for many many years on many models. Um, this uh, the uh, starting price for this vehicle. This is the high end, I guess, the upper trim level, uh, thirty four thousand two hundred dollars, um, with the infotainment package with USB charging only ports, uh, the Bose seven speaker system. Um, and wireless uh, device charging that was 600 bucks, and then adaptive cruise control was 375 bucks. 36,165 dollars. Destination 995. So almost 40,000 dollars. And, and which, actually, which, that that 995, oh. and this this actually relates to uh, one of the uh, user questions or user comments that uh, we had come in, um, which praises GM for including the delivery charge in the listed price of their vehicle, which is something they've actually been doing for at least a, a year or two now. Um, so the when they advertise the price of a vehicle, that includes the destination charge, unlike good. every other automaker. Good. Good good job, GM. Yeah. Good job. And, you know, a GM should get props for getting – the Bolt came to market before the Model 3. It beat the Model 3 to, to market, which is a huge By nearly deal. a year. Yeah. Um, and not only did it be to market, the first deliveries were in Fremont, California. Yeah. <laughs> were they really? Oh my gosh, that's yes. awesome. <laughs> well, like, they, they did the they did the launch drive for it in uh, Palo Alto. Yeah, like, Palo just Alto. A, a mile or two from Tesla headquarters. Yeah, I just wow. drove around like, hey, I know where this is at. No, they they there was a lot of shade. Um, unfortunately, once the car was out, they just never told anyone about it again. Yeah. <laughs> And gone. And they were, you know, and when you talk to people at GM, they're like, oh, we're really looking at fleet sales. And, you know, and they're, they're, they got some fleet sales with it. But the, the fact that you just the only ad I saw with a Chevy Bolt in it for years was uh, the one that Toyota had to make um, under the Dieselgate, uh, you know, what part of their, their deal with Dieselgate. They had to make an ad for EVs. And in that ad, there was a Chevy Bolt. <laughs> you mean oh Volkswagen? It was it was Volkswagen. D badge. Not Toyota, Volkswagen. You said Toyota. You just I'm sorry, Volkswagen. Toyota Dieselgate. I'm sorry. I apologize to Toyota. Volkswagen. I apologize. Volkswagen. To Toyota. I apologize. Apologies, Toyota. Please. You're don't. fine, Toyota. No diesel issues. You're good. Yeah. You're good. Yeah, they've never sold a diesel in America. 
Yeah, please don't come to my house and steal half the parts off my car. Um, they're like, we heard what you said. Evil, evil uh, The guy. Volkswagen, Volkswagen Dieselgate, uh, they had to make a an ad. Um, and in that ad was a D-batched Chevy Bolt. <laughs> That's and they're bad. like, EVs are great. And there's a Chevy Bolt right driving around. I do remember that now that you're saying that. And I think that, t- me too, that is the only time I could ever recall seeing an ad for that, ever. Yeah, but... Uh, prices. The prices are coming down on this this yeah. bad mamma jammer. Yeah, the price you just said was completely wrong. Completely wrong. Completely and utterly incorrect. Well, if you unless you bought it today, I guess if you then went it and was bought correct. It today, if you just bought yes. it, you're good. If you didn't just yeah. buy it, we're if you, lying to yeah, you. If you go buy a 2022 model, um, you know, as long as those are still in stock, um, that's the price. The price that you just said is the price you'll pay. But. When the 2023s roll out, which we don't know exactly when that's going to be because they they don't actually say when that's going to happen. But sometime in the near future, the 2023 bolts will arrive (laughs) with a substantially reduced price point. And the 1LT is going to start at $26,595. And the 2LT will start at $29,795 which is a $5,900 price cut uh, on yeah. each one. So now, so to, to, uh, to sort of help them out, because GM and uh, what's the other place? To, uh, Tesla. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Those other guys. Because I don't know cars, uh, dealer, uh, car automakers <coughs> anymore. They, they don't get the federal tax credit, which I still think is sort of bogus. Because I'm an '80s kid, so it's bogus. Because they're being—I feel like they're those two companies are sort of being um, like, "Oh, you did a good job getting EVs on the road. Now we're not going to let you have that EV credit." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good job. You don't get it. You're like, "Oh, but everyone else was dragging their feet." Yeah, they still get it, but not you. <laughs> those losers—they get the discount. You want one. You got to pay full price. So, but the full price is pretty low now on the. And it's uh, it's still cheaper than. Pretty much everything except the the Kona EV and the the Leaf, um, you know, after their uh, their credits. So with with their credits, they're the only ones that are going to be cheaper than the Bolt. Yep. And and the the Leaf that's actually cheaper only has 150 miles of range instead of 259 miles of range. If you want a 220 mile range Leaf, you are still going to pay more. Um. And um, the price is also going down on the Bolt EUV as well by sixty-two hundred dollars. So, um, you know, I think, you know, part, I, I'm, you know, I expect that GM was already planning to cut the price on the Bolt next year anyway, because you know once they launch the uh, the Equinox EV, which is gonna, supposed to start at thirty thousand um, dollars, but you know, given uh, you know, the reputational challenges they've suffered over the last year with the bolt. <laughs> reputational yeah. challenges. That's you a, have a career that, in PR, my friend. Okay. No, that's behind me. I'm done with that. <laughs> um, I think that's probably why they accelerated this price cut because they were probably having a hard time selling um, these bolts. So. Yeah, I mean, if it's it's like if you need a, a inexpensive EV. These are probably going. You could probably end up leasing these for like a nickel at some mm-hmm. point. Like Pretty close to it. I'll after, give you a nickel. Yeah, uh, yeah. We remember the the Fiat 500Es? Those were like ninety nine dollars. And there was a little while while the Bolt TV. If you were a Costco member, you could get like a really screaming lease deal. 
So really? I, I'm, I, oh, it was like ridiculous. It was, it was so low. I was thinking about, I'm like, oh, I don't, I'm not a Costco member. And then I remembered that my wife does not like the Chevy Bolt, <laughs> and it would be her car. So now we got a Kona, which is, I mean, to be fair, the better vehicle. Um, but although the Bolt also does have expense. a roomier back seat. Yeah, the only thing that's in the backseat of our car is our dogs. Yeah. They don't well, care. I, mean, it, it, I mean, it depends, you know, on what, you know, what a yeah. particular if customer you, needs. If you if have, you, like, family or some of that, that sort yeah. of stuff, and friends. <laughs> friends? Who has those? That's stupid. Those are overrated. Friends. I mean, our ah. main car was a BRZ, so we're not really backseat concerned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, was our, that was our only car for a while. Yeah. This is a BRZ. So back seats are like, eh, for us. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, anything else on the Bolt? Uh, no, nah, that's pretty much it. All right. Nicole, that's it. That's what do you it. got? Um, so I have a car that I already had. So if you guys want to know about it, um, you can just go back to, I believe, episode 242, <laughs> and you can hear what I said the first time. Um, they gave me a car that I had a few months ago. I have the Mercedes-Benz uh, 2022 GLS 450, which is their ginormous, great big SUV. Um, it is not an inexpensive SUV the way this is. It is, in fact, $97,155 with a destination fee of $1,050, which is surprisingly low. I don't know. I somehow expected that to be as outrageous as the overall price of the car. Um, so... Kind of getting exactly what you would think. Great, big, luxurious Mercedes that looks fancy. Um, I talked about a lot of stuff before, but this time, I interestingly, my daughter was home from college, so I was carrying her around, and my brother-in-law and his wife were home. We were doing all this family stuff. It was hilarious to see the reaction of my family to this car. It's, I mean, it's a $100,000 SUV. Not everybody rides around in a $100,000 SUV. I would not if Mercedes had not given me this one for a week. <laughs> so, but like... The things they're noticing and the things they're either liking or not liking cracked me up. They hated uniformly that you adjust the seats with that little silver thing that looks like the side profile of a human, and it's like on the side doors. Uh-huh. And it's like there's a little spot. It, instead of reaching down to the seat and adjust, every single person who got in that car, this is, how does this, I don't, why are they, I don't like this. Like it was this. Everyone, everyone hated it. I'm like, wow, I never really liked that, but apparently I'm not the only one. They all hated that, and they all lost their minds in a positive way over, do you know what the thing that they most noticed about this? We were driving it at night. Do you know what the thing that they all thought was the coolest thing they'd ever seen? Oh, the, the, the lighting. The puddle light that looks like the little Mercedes star on the ground. Like, literally, oh. my brother-in-law saw it. He's like, Everybody does that now. But he, I know, but not, but yeah, you, but not, not everybody you... has a car that does that. I mean, everyone yeah. does it, but does yeah. everybody have a car that does it? So, literally, John's like, oh, and I thought something was wrong. I'm like, what? Oh, God, what happened? No. He's like, look at this on the ground. And I'm thinking, I have a flat tire. Somebody's hit the side of it. He's like, no, puddle lights. That's <laughs> it. He's all excited. He's like, come look, 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 look with the door. I'm like, oh, my God. When you open the door, it moves. I'm like, of course it does. Oh my god! So, it, it, he, it must be it must be so nice to not be jaded like we are about these things. <laughs> we're pretty jaded. <laughs> we're pretty jaded. That's just like wow. Okay, so you hate nice, the little. Nice, you just want to nice to still it. appreciate the little trivial things in the life. little things. I like that. Also, they were. This was funny. So I tried to do the. Because, you know, you can activate the infotainment by saying, hey, Mercedes. And I was saying, you know, as we're joking about the things you get or don't get in a $100,000 car, I was like, yeah, but you can just yell at it and it will do things for you. So John is in the back seat, literally yelling at it, 
to like change the colors on the ambient lighting. We took a 20-minute ride back from the movie theater from seeing Top Gun last night with John yelling, Hey, Mercedes, make ambient lighting yellow. Oh, it worked. Hey, Mercedes, make ambient lighting green. Oh, it worked. I'm like, John, it's going to work every time. <laughs> it's the same Are you thing. sure about that? I mean, it is a voice control system. We did. We had a couple of times. Pretty where good. We oh. laughed at him once. And when we laughed, it was like Mercedes like, I'm sorry. I don't understand you. Please repeat that and everybody else be quiet. We <laughs> did that. Other than that one time when we were sort of all laughing and talking over him, it got every single time. And to the, the system's credit, he is literally in the second row screaming at the car. <laughs> um, and it worked. It got what he was saying. There so, you go. See? Yeah. So it was sort of now, it was sort of well, fun to drive well, let, this let me, and see their impressions. Ask, let me ask this though. Do you think that's that it's actually a good idea that it can respond to people in the back in the second row? You know, well, I mean if, if you're, you're driving saying, around with your kids, do you want your kids issuing commands to your car? I guess if your kids are old enough or smart enough or whatever to figure out to yell, Hey Mercedes, I suppose that would be bad. Maybe that's a bad thing. Yeah, if your you kids can, are like jerks, You can just turn it off too. You could. I guess if yeah. your kids are jerks, you can I guess turn whenever it off. you get in the, you can set up a profile, one for when your kids aren't in the car and one when you're with your your jerky <laughs> your jerky obnoxious jerky kids. Your obnoxious like, you know. teenagers. Exactly. So you set up like you could set the 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 biometric like one yes. finger is you, the other finger the the middle finger is you yeah. and your kids. The middle finger <laughs> is like the kids are in the car, dang it. <laughs> we yes. solved the problem of so that horrible children. So, um, so yeah, so Puddle Light's big hit. Hey, Mercedes, big hit. Uh, the way you adjust the seats, not, not a, a big, big hit. hit. Not a big hit. Not a big hit at all. Um, it, but it's it, like it's like every time you get in a Mercedes, they, I still put my hand. I'm like, oh, whoops. I know. I do. I'll be And I'll put my hand down and my eyes will be like, literally be looking sideways and making direct contact with the little silver things on the door. And I'm like, why is my, where is it? I'm like, directly in front of you. You're looking <laughs> at them. Um, it's like when you get in a Porsche and you're looking for the start. You're like, where the hell where is the, the start? Where button? is it? Yeah. <laughs> where did I and, put the key? And this was probably the first time ever. So this is all about what other people thought this time. I was at the uh, drive-thru at Starbucks getting my um, Venti London Fog, which is my daily thing. And I got my Venti London Fog, and the girl went to hand it. She was like, that car is the interior. Look at that screen. So what she picked up on was the giant screen and which again like when you say there's things that you we see that we see that kind of thing all the time so we're like oh nice screen mercedes to somebody who doesn't see it they're like oh good gravy that looks like something i mean she was impressed enough with it that she was saying to the she's like did you see the screen look at the side of that car they're like hanging out the window at the starbucks checking out the screen so it was sort Aww. of interesting to just see other people's reactions to it and it, it to a point, what you were saying is like we get kind of jaded that we're in these things all the time, so you get sort of used to them. But they are a big deal, and they're not sort of normal for everybody else, especially in a car that looks as pretty as this one. So it was it was a fun week driving the family around and thinking what they thought of it. And I mean, it's it's a it's a beautiful car to drive. It's uh, has plenty of power. It's not like gonna make. It's not something that you're gonna like win races. It's big. So it has 362 horsepower, but it's a big vehicle. So it gets out of its own way, but it's not like it's not super, super fast. Um, it's a three liter uh, turbocharged six cylinder, nine speed automatic, 369 pound feet of torque. So it's, a, you know, it's got a decent engine under there and it's fun to drive. And I'm really glad I didn't have to put gas in it because it's combined fuel economy is 20. That's pretty good compared to what I've been driving, but. Dun, you, dun, dun. We'll get That's to a that good one. segue. That's a good segue. What have you been driving? Um, well, actually, the the car I'm going to talk about today is the one I was driving 
until a couple oh. of days ago. The oh. one, I'm, the one I'm, that's in my driveway right now is the new Lincoln Navigator. Um, oh. Which, oh. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the set. Oh, we're it's, sorry. It's not, qu- it's not quite as fuel efficient as the the one I'm actually going to talk about, but we'll talk about the Navigator next week. Okay. Um, I know. They, I just looked at the show notes. I'm like, how is that getting worse fuel economy <laughs> than my Mercedes? Something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, I had the uh, when I got back from uh, Wisconsin, uh, I had the Volkswagen ID4 uh, all wheel Pro ID4 all wheel drive Pro. So this is the base trim of the ID4, but uh, the new the version that now has a second motor on the front axle, uh, which gives it uh, roughly about 300 horsepower, um, and uh, you know so it's got a, got a little more grunt than before. Uh, still has the same 82 kilowatt hour battery pack. Um, it is uh, got compared. It's it uh, at some point in the past eight or nine months. Uh, VW pushed out a software update uh, to the ID4s, both rear-wheel drive, single motor, and the all-wheel drives. Um, so they actually got in a little bit of an improvement in their efficiency. So the all-wheel drive version of the ID4 now pretty much matches what the rear-wheel drive version originally got, which is uh, it's 249 miles. I think when the when the rear drive first came out, it was rated at 250, um, and it's now and I think it, I think it's at 260. Um, or 265, so it's doing you know it's doing a little bit better than it was before. Um, you know the ID4 you know, is a you know compact crossover you know in the same size class as what is now you know what has now supplanted midsize sedans <laughs> as the top selling car you know passenger car passenger vehicle category um, after uh, full size pickup trucks. Uh, so you know this is going up against the likes of you know on the electric side the Ionic Five uh, and the EV6 as well as uh, vehicles like the uh, Honda CRV and Toyota Rav4, which I think is the the best seller overall now of non pickup trucks. Um, and uh, so you know same same kind of sizes overall size as those vehicles, uh, but unlike the gas engine vehicles, it actually has a little more room inside. Uh, because they've expanded the passenger compartment um, and you know pushed the the front bulkhead forward a little bit, so it the 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 VW ID vehicles, the ID4 and the ID3 hatchback, which are which is available in Europe, not here, uh, don't have a front trunk uh, because they when you look at them in profile, you can see that they have shrunk down the windshield to to bumper uh, length um, and. You know, com- packed everything in there. You know, all the ancillary hardware. So there's not they they actually have a legitimate reason for not having a front trunk because they they have put that stuff in there. They haven't they haven't kept it the same size there as the gas engine equivalents. Um, so you have a little more room inside. There's actually quite a bit of cargo space. I think there's almost 30 cubic feet of cargo space behind the rear seat. Uh, so very roomy. Um, I said you know with that. That extra motor in there, it's got a little more oomph to it. You know, it accelerates a little quicker. Um, another thing that has gotten quicker uh, since we first talked about the ID4 last year uh, is the infotainment system. When it when it first launched last year, there were a lot of complaints about lagginess in the infotainment system. Um, you know, it has gotten noticeably better. Uh, I did not really notice any significant lag when I was using Yay. it. It's, so it's when actually, you when you 
So when you start it and you drive three miles, it, it launches before that three miles is up? It does, indeed, yes. <laughs> In fact, it launches Yay. even you know, before I get out, out of my driveway. So there's, there's that. That's and it's, a win. It's gen- generally more responsive. Now, that said, it still has you know the stupid touch controls you know oh, at the base wow. of the the uh, screen. You yeah. know, so when when I went out somewhere with my wife the other day, uh, you know she tried to uh, hit the pause button on the screen uh, to pause something we were listening to to comment on it, and kept um, hitting the menu button that was just below the screen because it's a touch uh, touch control a capacitor touch uh, area there. And so when she was pointing at the pause button, you know, her middle finger, as she was doing that, was also touching the button below it um, and causing a menu to pop up over it. And so she couldn't pause it. <laughs> and I finally said, hold on. Hold on a second. Over. I'll do it. <laughs> you can't touch uh, this part. <laughs> she's ready to, like, bash the screen. Why is yeah. this not working? So, you know, so this is, this is why, you know, some of those ancillary controls really should be physical buttons, not touch sensitive surfaces um but you know it is what it is uh but overall the performance of the system was was much better much improved um you know it's still you know i think it's a it's a decent looking vehicle um you know it's it's got you know nicely it's nicely finished inside you know as volkswagens typically are um and you know i enjoyed driving it uh it was it was quite pleasant to drive um it's rated at as i said 249 miles of range so the um, MPGE uh, works out to 97 MPGE, uh, which is not at the, the high end of the range. You know, it's not as good as the, the Hyundai and Kia uh, models or, you know, some of the other higher end um, or, you know, some of the more efficient EVs out there. But it's, it's adequate. Um, you know, it's about 35 kilowatt hours per 100 miles. Um, I actually, uh, and, th- and this is the EPA ratings. Um, you know, I was actually getting, uh, in, uh, in my driving about, uh, 3.3 miles per kilowatt hour, which is slightly less than what I got with the Kia. And granted, I got the 3.4 miles per kilowatt hour on the Kia with almost all highway driving. And this was more a mix of city and highway driving. So it is, it's definitely not quite as good as the, as the Kia. Uh, but it's, um, you know, I got better than what the EPA label value would indicate. So, um, getting 250 miles of range in real-world driving uh, with the ID4 uh, all-wheel drive uh, should be no problem at all. Um, the uh, price tag on this one came out to a grand total of uh, $44,870, uh, including an $1,195 destination charge. Uh, so, you know, at that price point, you know, just, just a little under $45,000. That's actually about. Ten grand less than the all-wheel drive Ionic Five I had, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, about eight thousand dollars less than the EV6 that I was driving. Um, you know, both of those have a little bit more range than this does, um, and you know they they're say a little more interesting to look at. Uh, you know, the styling is a, a little more bold on those vehicles, uh, but you know I think that this is actually a pretty good value for for what you're getting here. Uh, you know, it is obviously significantly more expensive than the Bolt, uh, but it's also significantly larger. And, you know, I think a lot of people might prefer driving it. And it also charges a lot faster. It'll it'll charge at, uh, I think, about um, 130 kilowatts. So, 
uh, you know, it's it's definitely worth taking a look at, and it's been doing pretty well for VW uh, since they launched it. So you can get it as either the rear-wheel drive model or dual-motor front uh, all-wheel drive model now, uh, regardless of where you live. Uh, and it is available in all 50 states. Um, it, it, unlike, unlike Hyundai and Kia, they are not limiting it right now to, to Zev states or anything like that. I'm, okay, so the to roll down the rear win the rear window. Oh, there is rear that window? too. Rear yeah, window? I forgot to did mention they, that. Did, did they did they did they change that no. yet? Or just no, no, they have not changed oh, come that. On. Yeah, so for for those that don't recall, um, oh, VW made the peculiar decision <laughs> of um, rather than having on the driver's door having four window switches for the four doors, they decided to save a few cents and only have two window switches. And then in front of the window switches, there is another touch button that you have to press that's labeled rear. So if you want to, if you just press the, the two window switches, it'll roll down, it'll roll down your front windows. And then you press the rear button and then press the, the window switches again, and you can roll down the rear windows. So it's, a, it's an extra step if you want to roll down the, the rear windows. It's ridiculous. It is. It is. <laughs> it's... it's it's it's, there's some, there's so much to like about the ID4. Uh, it's it's you know and then fortunately they they seem to have fixed the issues with the with the uh, infotainment system which was just really laggy. That was like its big thing. It was yeah. the infotainment system. It, it, yeah, it, I mean the interface was fine. But yeah, it was the interface just slow. was fine. It just took forever for anything. So that's good. The touch haptic that all the touch buttons. I mean that's in their entire lineup and that's just they're just that's just we're gonna have to deal with that for ne for the next few years. That's just. But the rear window thing, it's just trying to be clever for the sake of being clever. <laughs> yeah. And it's not. It's the You're opposite. You're not buying it. it Some huh? accountant said, where can we save 50 cents? And they said, oh, we can get rid of these two switches. And two. It's like, Boom. no, that was a bad, bad idea. Money saved. Yeah. But, but I do see a lot of ID4s on the road around. So they're, they're that often. Well, I, live in I mean, I believe you. It's just, you know, regions. Uh, yeah, well, he lives yeah, in California. Where I live. I right, live in exactly. California. California's by. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of Ionic 5s recently. I've seen a couple EV6s. Um, yeah, you know, California. Northern California, especially, where people are trading in their Model 3s for other cars. <laughs> or they're buying Model 3s. There's still a lot of Model 3s everywhere. Yeah. They, they are the new California Camry now. They are the, they, they're the Prius. Because forever Prius was like the official car of California. But they look better. I mean, the Prius. Ugh. Marginally better. Marginally better. Well, the no, Prius? the Prius, the current generation Prius is pretty bad. So. Yeah, the so, current. Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit is, better than the Prius. I mean, they've gone some generations, and the newer one you'd think would look better. And. Nope. Well, um, let, let's end the Prius discussion there before we say something we shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Speaking of Toyota, uh, Nicole and I uh, went to Toyota Palooza 2. Um, Toyota Palooza Part 2. Why did you um, call Toyota Thon? Like the <laughs> Toyota Thon. Because Toyota Thon sounds sort of normalish. Toyota Palooza sounds like something that's gone off the rails. That's what this was. <laughs> yes. I feel like it needs to be like Toyota Palooza. Like, like that like Terry Farrell was there and there was a <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's confused as to what is going on. You know, the, to- Toyota you know, this past week had tried to have multiple events simultaneously. Um, which included several waves of uh, having media come in to drive the new Toyota Sequoia. Uh, But they also had a couple of other things that they were doing at the same time, some of which had to be done simultaneously. So usually when you have multiple waves for a drive program, you'll have the first group come in on day one and drive on day two and then either leave either on the evening of day two or the morning of day three. Uh, and on day two, while the first group is driving, the second group is arriving, and so on through the course of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because Toyota also wanted to do the global premiere of the new uh, Lexus RX and have everybody there at once, you had some. You had four waves of people that came in, but at various times, and some of them were there like from Monday to Thursday. Some were there from Tuesday to Thursday, like I was, which was the shortest wave. Mm-hmm. Others were there from Tuesday to Friday, and some were there from Tuesday to Saturday. Which and they is had cray a, cray. Yeah, and then a bunch of they had a bunch of other stuff that they had us doing. Uh, you know, they had some demos, some pretty cool, interesting demos of stuff. Uh, they had uh, a couple of the they had um, the new Sienna Autonomass, which is their their AV ready version of the Sienna minivan uh, that they they prep it um so you know for companies that want to do autonomous vehicle development they can buy these things it makes it easier for them to they pre-wire a lot of stuff and put in redundant brake systems and steering Mm -hmm. systems um and chrysler's been doing that for several years with the pacifica as well but they even though they acknowledged that they were doing it they would never actually talk on uh, talk about it on the record which was really weird (laughs) toyota is actually advertising it now so anyway the sequoia um, the Sequoia. What did you think of the Sequoia? Um, I liked the Sequoia. I thought that they, it didn't change as much as I expected it to change because it's been over a decade. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sam. Almost 15 years. Yeah, it's been like so 2008. 50, so like it's been a hot minute since they last redid this car. So you know, normally you get these all news, and it's not that long of a time frame. They're significantly different. This was different, but I expected more different. <laughs> I expected it to be more dramatic. Like, 15 years, how far cars have come. Well, I mean, it looks so, quite a bit different. It looks I mean, quite a bit different. But, I, I mean, it looks different. I do like, I, we got some time in to go off-road in it a little bit, and we got on a little off-road course, a really short one. And then we did on-road driving. And they had us in the new, we tried out the new um, capstone trim, which is the highest trim in the lineup. So that's their fancy pants. It's like their new, you know, the fanciest, the leather, the walnut trims or whatever, real wood trims, real everything, 
coddles you, makes you feel like you're a rock star, blah, blah, blah. Um, that one looked really good. I thought it looked really good. I like that they have one that they really did an upscale interior because Toyota interiors on the top trims are decent, but they never really have something that looks like really like, wow, this is a really nice Toyota. I know they've got Lexus for that, but it's nice to have something in a Toyota that you haven't gotten into Lexus territory pricing wise. Um, so I liked the capstone. I thought it drove nicely. I didn't think it drove, I was expecting it to be a little bit more well-mannered because so many of the large SUVs that size today do, I know, you know, it's got a truck thing going on, but a lot of them are very well-mannered. They feel very nice. They're, they still know they're a big SUV, but they don't have that sort of unwieldy, like if you're on the highway, you don't have that, you know, if you change lanes quickly for some reason, you don't have that sort of sway back and forth. like whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Unless you have a trailer hooked up. Unless you have a trailer hooked up. It shouldn't <laughs> feel like you have a trailer hooked up when there's not a trailer hooked up. And every now and then it did in highway driving. So I, I liked it overall. I love that they've, you know, got the new infotainment system in there. I mean, they put that in the Tundra first. We saw it there first. So it's the same. It's the, the I don't know what they call the newest generation of the. I think it's just the, the Toyota multimedia system. Is it just, okay. I wasn't sure if it had like a fancy name. Um, they, so, they got rid of Entune. Yeah, I knew Entune was gone. I couldn't, like, what are they calling and, and it? And the branding, because yeah. it, it had such a bad reputation. That, yeah, right, so gotta, they ditched you it. You got to throw that in a field and burn Which it. was good. I mean, because it really is, it is, the, the, the infotainment is a huge, you know, leap forward from, that's that's probably one of the biggest changes. Like, that infotainment system is so much better than the old one. The old one was horrific. This one is great. It's what they have in the Tundra, so it's not, you know, you've, if you've seen a Tundra, you've seen what this new infotainment is, and it's much better. Um, I mean, it was perfectly capable off-road. They did do, um, it was a very short off-road course. What, maybe like yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a particularly challenging course. No. You know, yeah, I, I'd be curious to see how this thing behaves, you know, on the type of course that GM would send, or the Jeep would send us on with the Wrangler. Or, yeah. Not the wet Wrangler, the Wagoneer. The Wagoneer. That's the thing. Like, it was, I mean, it was off-road, It, but it was like they had, mowed a section of road for us to get to this field like it was the field had been mowed like we didn't just drive through the field jeep would have been like drive through the field okay fine these guys sort of mowed a path through the field um and then we got to the off-road port and they had you know part and they had um you know some stuff so you had a wheel popped in the air you know as you're going over these bumps and they had it where you were banked very sharply to one side um, you know, so you could see that it does do that and maintain control. And there's a little tiny part at the end where they said you could drive faster. And then they told us don't drive over 35 miles an hour. And I was like, that's not faster. <laughs> that's not fast. That's just the speed. That what? You can't drive much slower than that and keep moving. So, um, and it handled fine on that. I actually liked it. Honestly, I liked the TRD Pro. Was it TRD Pro? Am I mm -hmm. forgetting my terms? I like taking the TRD Pro out on the dirt. I thought that was nicer to drive overall than driving the other ones on the highway. Yeah. So if you're, if you're going to go off-roading and that's what you want this for, I liked how it felt. I thought it was, and it looks really snazzy. It's got like red accents everywhere, red stripe on the center of the steering wheel and red stitching and fancy TRD Pro everything red. Red everywhere because cool off-road thing. Um, so I liked it. I wasn't as impressed as I think I thought maybe I would be. I think, like I said, I was expecting a little bit more just because it had been such a long time. So what did you think, Sam? Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the design, you know, if you've seen the, the new um, Tundra, you know, it's basically the same, same design language, you know, back to the, uh, you know, the, the second row of doors, the front, you know, the front 
half of the thing looks exactly the same as the Tundra. Um, and then, you, you know, it's SUV on the back. <clears throat> it's got independent rear suspension. One interesting detail is that the hybrid system that is optional on the Tundra is the only available powertrain on this. Yes. So it's the, they call it iForce Max. Uh, so this is uh, a 3.5-liter twin-turbo V6 with uh, a, an electric motor embedded in the 9-speed transmission, which is basically the same architecture as Ford's Power Boost. And it's close to the same power levels. I think it's I think the Tundra's got slightly more horsepower mm -hmm. and slightly less torque than than the the Ford system, but you know, they're effectively equal. Um, and but what I did notice um, in driving that, you know, especially on the road, uh, it didn't seem quite as smooth mm -hmm. as the the Ford system. Every once in a while I would feel some jerking and it Hard to tell if it was, um, you know, the clutch between the engine and the electric motor engaging, disengaging, or something going on in the, in the transmission. Um, you know, it wasn't. I couldn't quite tell where the where the problem was, but it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't severe, but mm -hmm. you could feel it doing something, um, which you know, a lot, especially compared to other Toyota hybrid systems, uh, is not usually the case. I mean, they're usually totally seamless you know you can't mm -hmm. you can't tell at all um and also the the fuel economy of you know at least you know during our couple of hours of driving was not particularly impressive like about 17 and a half 18 yeah miles per you gallon. know what i should have mentioned that sam we saw the same thing we were looking at the fuel economy we're like well this is going to be it's going to be better than the old one we're like wait it's going to be better than the old one what is wrong with the numbers it's going to be better than the old one it it, it's the fuel economy doesn't seem like it made much of a change and we have no EPA fuel economy as of the moment we're recording this and we have no Toyota estimated fuel economy either so they've released nada about yeah. what the fuel economy is going to be we, they, like we, sometimes we go to these things and if the EPA's numbers aren't ready they'll say Toyota is estimating you will get X or not even that or something. Yeah. yeah nope nothing not a target not an no estimate mention. not a tentative like there are no fuel economy numbers it's like oh okay <laughs> I think they know what the fuel economy number is going to be, and they're like, uh, let's just not talk They don't about want this. to brag about it yet. Right. So, yeah, that was interesting. Cause, and we didn't get we didn't get great fuel economy when we were driving it either. And we weren't, you know, my drive partner was not driving aggressively, but he wasn't driving, you know, he wasn't hypermiling. You know, he was driving with enthusiasm, and our numbers were not, they were not great. <laughs> the, the other thing that, at least for, for us, was not great uh, was towing. Um, you know, the, the, the Sequoia can tow, uh, is rated for up to 9,200, uh, yeah, not, no, 9,500 pounds, 9,520 actually, I think is the, the total number, um, which is, you know, a pretty good tow rating. <clears throat> and mm -hmm. they, they had, uh, two Tundras set up for, for towing evaluation. One was set up with a boat, uh, that weighed about, I think about 4,500 pounds with the boat and the trailer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the other one was an Airstream. Um, and we took out the, the, the one with the Airstream trailer and, you know, at about 65 miles an hour, the, and it, we couldn't, I couldn't, you know, we weren't quite sure if the problem was the trailer or the whole setup. Hmm. Um, you know, the guy, the, the guy who came with us on that ride, um, was saying that, you know, they, they couldn't get tr the trailer with, it was a single axle trailer. Uh, weighed about 5,000 pounds, uh, and <clears throat> they couldn't get one equipped with uh, a sway bar. 
Um, and the, the trailer, you know, as soon as you got to about 65 miles an hour, the trailer was definitely swaying back and mm. forth. Um, and it felt rather disconcerting, uh, <laughs> you know, if you pushed much beyond 65 miles an hour. Um, uh, and so, you know, I slowed down and kept it, you know, just under 65 so that it, it wouldn't do that. Um, and compared to a few weeks ago when we drove the, uh, the F-150 Lightning, you know, I drove the Lightning with a 9,500-pound trailer, and it, you know, that thing, it didn't even feel like there was anything connected to it. Uh, this thing, even with a 5,000-pound trailer, uh, you could feel that there was some weight back there holding mm -hmm. you back when you tried to accelerate. I mean, it wasn't really slow, but you could, you could tell that it was, it was working a lot harder uh, than, than the Lightning was. So that's another thing to consider, you know, if you're going to be using using this for, for towing. Um, you know, we'll have to see, you know, um, you know, if anybody else does some or probably when the TFL truck guys, you know, do their do their <laughs> towing videos, you know, we'll see what uh what kind of results they get out see of. See what it. Roman and Mike manage to do on their ranch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they always they always do a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff and they do a pretty thorough job with it. They do. Um so well, uh, you know, you might want to think about that if you're going to if you're going to be doing a lot of uh, trailer towing. Uh, but other than that, you know, overall, you know, it was it was good. I mean, it was certainly a huge improvement over the old Sequoia, um, and you know, the the, mm -hmm. the 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 Toyota multimedia system was is is much 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 better than anything Toyota's yeah. done before. I still have the same complaint I had when I drove first drove the BZ4X, uh, which what? is that um, you know, oh, you've got yeah. a 14-inch screen, and they don't allow it to be split, you know, to show more than oh. one thing at a time. Yeah, one thing. Yes. <laughs> you one. can have you navigation choose. or your audio controls or, you know, other controls, but you can't have a split screen with navigation and your media controls, same thing. Now, you know, what they told me at the BZ4X drive is well, you can use the voice controls, you know. So if you're using Nav, uh, you can just say, you know, uh, was it, uh, hey Toyota, I think, uh, you know, yeah. pause the music, and it'll it'll do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, again, or you it, could it, also just use your finger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stop. It's but, nice that the music's really loud. How's that? Yeah. Oh, never mind. But but uh, you know, as I said when I talked about the Tundra that I drove a couple of weeks ago. Um, if you are using CarPlay or Android Auto, those will give you a split screen configuration mm -hmm. and, and use the full screen. So you can have map and media controls side by side on there. So there's that. There's that. There you go. Yeah. I, I, I tell you, that they are not, they're sticking with body on frame. Like, like it's nobody's business. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, for a vehicle of this type, I mean, everybody else is too, for, for these full size uh, utilities and, and pickups. Yeah, but they but everyone else has figured out how to make their cars drive better, or make their SUVs <laughs> drive better. That's I what I like, was feeling yeah. like that. I, I feel I just like the didn't... Toyota customer is 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 happy with this. Is the the, the, the Toyota customer is like I know it's not going to be as nice as these other vehicles, but I feel like I'm going to be able to drive over a cliff with this thing, and it'll be fine. I think that's where they're. That, I think that is kind of the thing. Like the person who's buying this, like you said, Sam. You know, you have a, you actually have a uh, navigator in your driveway this week, right? Yeah. And like the navigator has an entirely different drive to it. I've driven the navigator. I drove it to the lodge, and that has that like luxury car. Like, oh, you're all, all this stuff. It's all fancy and smooth, and it's. And the Sequoia is kind of like, 
you and your luxury car stuff. Let's go drive in the dirt. Like, yeah. I kind of feel like that's what the Sequoia's doing. Shaw, let's Shaw go, you and let's your Let's go mow a field and drive around it. But, right. you know, then again, if you want both, if you want the luxury thing and the ability to go drive in the dirt, then there's the Jeep Grand Wagoneer, there's which, the Grand which Wagoneer. does both. Yeah. Which and then does the both. Ra- the it does them Land exceptionally Rover well. Brand. Yeah. Yes. I tried to, my, my cousin was the Land Rover owner. Um, he had an LR3, 4, I don't know. Um, and he look. Uh, he was looking for a new vehicle. I'm like, oh, try the. You know, he he actually goes off road. He actually has to. You know, he does all these things. He's this stuff with the scouts. Um, and I'm like, oh, go try the. You know, Toyota whatever. I forget what. It is. And he's like, I don't like the ride quality. And went out and bought a Discovery. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I thought I thought the ride quality of the Sequoia was generally fine. I didn't have I didn't have any notable issues with that. Um, you know, it it felt fairly smooth. Um, and well controlled. Uh, but you know, it's just some of these other things. Price-wise, pricing on this—I um, don't think they even told us exactly when this is going to go on sale. Oh. Um, Did they, they originally? It originally they—if you read the the release stuff, it had said like August or something. Okay. Now they and they somebody asked in my presentation like, yeah, fall. Okay. There was so yeah. it got a little bit. It, so it's yeah. bumped out. Like if you look at the original stuff, it all says like I think August or summer of 2022. It's not summer, yeah, so it it's got bumped summer. a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's not anymore. Okay, well, uh, pricing uh, for the starting starts at the SR5 four x two model starts at fifty eight thousand three hundred dollars, um, goes up to seventy five thousand three hundred uh, for the capstone four x two. In between, you've got limited and platinum trims. Um, you can add three thousand to each of those for four-wheel drive. Uh, and then the TRD Pro, which is 4x4 only, um, is $76,900. So that is the, the 2023 Toyota Sequoia, which will be arriving at some point in the coming months, eventually. They'll sell 60 gazillion of them. They'll sell a bazillion. That's uh, it. When I was talking I don't know. Person, I don't know if they will. You the, don't think so? The previous Sequoia never sold that well. I don't think it ever sold much over about twenty-five or 30,000 units. And, you know, compared to, uh, wow. you know, the, the Chevy, the GM full-size utilities um, or even the, uh, the Ford Expedition, uh, it never sold as well as those did. Bring back the Ford Flex. That's what I think we should. Yeah. It kind of like looks like. The, do you really like the Ford Flex? I, I love the like Flex. The I have Ford always loved awesome. Flex. You know what? I honestly, I have I never a, driven one, but I've I absolutely gotten, despise how it looks. I've, oh, only I driven, I've only, I've only gotten a ticket in one press vehicle, and that, that was, was the Ford Flex. <laughs> <laughs> Going down, <laughs> I wasn't even covering cars at the time. I was doing a thing with. This is when I was at Wired, so I was covering a bunch of stuff. I was covering tech, but we were doing a snowboarding thing. <laughs> and we were driving back from Tahoe. I reviewed all these snowboards. Driving back downhill, I got a ticket in the Ford Flex. That's funny. I still love the Ford Flex. I like the way it looks. I like the little boxiness of it. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, like I the, think it's cool looking. I miss I, all the I, little boxy I, vehicles. I, I do like if, it. But, you know, if you look at the Toyota Sequoia, kind of looks like a bigger version of Ford Flex with a little <laughs> bit more flair. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the seam. Like, they have that weird seams, like, on the doors, the, the lines. It, it was like. Oh, on the like, Flex? Yeah. Those, those creases? I don't I like thought, the creases. I thought no. those gave it some character. No, they gave it an ugly. I don't like, I didn't like them. <laughs> back, back, oh, you mean the little it, chrome between the, 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 the window little, and the door? Yeah, there was no, or no, like, on no the doors creases. itself? There were the little yeah. creases. Uh, those are speed lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back, back when it first came out in like 2008, 
Um, we took one. We took one up north, up to Traverse City for a family vacation, and it was great for that. You know, you could put all kinds of stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, family of four and, mm-hmm. and all their gear for a week and a half, and it was fantastic. It was great. My- that weirdly creased little vehicle. Little <laughs> <laughs> creased. Well, you can, I've seen. It's gone now. I know. That's matter. why I can pick on it because you can't buy one anyway. Oh, so, yeah. although there's several of them in my neighborhood. You see him around every once yeah. in a while. No. Or flex. Right. No. No. <laughs> She's like not the crease. Not the no, crease car. No, not the crease car. <laughs> you could just fill. You could buy. You buy the Ford Flex, and then you buy a can of Bondo, and you just <laughs> <laughs> just smooth it all out. A can of Bondo. Smooth it all out. <laughs> That's what everyone does when you buy a new car. I do not like how you designed this. Where is the Bondo? I'm gonna fix this. <laughs> Fixing it, it right now. Out. Or maybe use a little fiberglass instead. <laughs> a little yeah. fiberglass. I know the bottom just pops out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, next up, while while we we're uh, actually, in fact, while we were sitting, while at least while I was sitting in my session um, to with the present for the presentation on the Sequoia um, before we went for our drive, uh, a announcement came up from Buick. Um, that uh, they are going to be, you know, introducing their their EVs uh, starting uh, with uh, a model, or or there's at least there is at least going to be a model called the Electra, uh, which seems like a no brainer for Buick, um, given that, that was a long long term, long time uh, nameplate that they had, um, and that's come the Electra is coming in 2024, but I guess they're going to have other models before that in 23, um, and they showed a concept uh, that gives a indication of their new design direction uh, for Buick. Uh, but sadly, it sounds like they're not actually going to put produce anything quite like this. And this is the Buick Wildcat concept, the Wildcat EV concept. Because you probably are both doing like raw hands at the screen. Doing kitty hands. We're doing kitty hands. Come on, Sam. There we go. Kitty paws. We're doing kitty paw hands. So, what what do you think of the Wildcat? I I think it's really cool, which is why they'll never build it. Yeah, it's catastic. It looks really. Look at the wheels. You yeah. these. Look at those wheels. That They're is fantastic. a slick looking car. That is a beautiful concept, and I don't think they'll have anything even close to that. That's ever. the problem. Well, I think you, you know, kind you of the, have... the shape the shape of the front end of this thing. I think is the you know sounds like this is the direction. That we're going to be seeing for vehicles like the Electra and, and other EV models, and, and Buick wants to be all electric by 2030. Mm-hmm. I would if this is the direction they go. And did you look at the interior shots of this? Yeah, it's the the, the interior is beautiful. It's, it's the gorgeous. It's the bee's knees. It is absolutely gorgeous. If they were, I, I mean, they're not going to build anything. it looking like this. I don't. I like you look at those seats. You think. Those are stunning. They're not going to look anything like no, that. No, they're definitely not going to see those so Legally, pretty. they won't be able to do it. <laughs> I just, some engineer find a way to do that because that looks amazing. Some engineering people, Buick engineers, go engineer this. Make this happen. Make it so. Hopefully, uh, Bob Boniface finds a way to uh, bring this concept to his Cars in My Yard party in July. Uh, <sighs> so pretty. Bob, Bob is, uh, he is the... Uh, Executive Director of Global uh, Buick Design at General Motors. Um, 
and uh, he he was the leader behind the original Chevy Volt concept back in 2007. And he's done done a lot of interesting stuff at, at GM over the years, um, and uh, he has this uh, this really cool party at his house uh, every July. Although haven't haven't had it for the last two years for obvious reasons, um, but uh, it's called Cars in My Yard, and traditionally it was always on the Friday night before the uh, uh, Concours of America. Uh, here in, in Detroit, um, but that's that event is moving to September now. But he's still doing the the party in, in July, and it's cool. He invites all kinds of people from uh, you know friends friends of Bob uh, from friends around Bob. around the around friends the industry. And there's there's always an amazing collection of cars in his backyard for this party, um, and uh, usually you know somewhere around a hundred vehicles. Uh, of all sorts. Uh, a couple of years ago when I was there, somebody brought an Aston Martin Lagonda. Um, yeah, wow. you don't see those very often. Um, and there's all kinds of fun stuff. But hopefully hopefully Bob will find a way to bring this thing to his party. Do it, do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm sad on, that Bob. Buick didn't have like, because they, they had like an online event. They're like, oh, hey, here's the car. Yeah. It would have been cool if they'd just invite a bunch of people and we could all stand around and do videos in front of it and point at well, it. And- Gosh. You know they'll they'll probably they'll probably bring this thing out to uh, Pebble Beach. Oh yeah, there's that. Yeah, I wouldn't it. be surprised if it's at Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach, there you good go. Old, yeah. Good old Pebble Beach. Uh, you know, I you know if they if this is at least a direction. I mean, obviously this is not going to come to market. Um, I mean, Electra. Hopefully that'll look cool. I want them to bring back the Grand National, but that's just me. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Well, let's, fingers crossed for Buick. Come on, Buick. Which is the thing you didn't expect to say 10 years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> Buick. Well, they're, they're still doing okay in China. Yeah, that's the whole thing. <laughs> like, if you just tell people, like, Buick China is like, the only reason Buick, the Buick brand even exists at this point. It's true. Yeah. For years, that's, like, the only time we heard of the Buick was in China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and But that's sort of fallen. But that's the whole other thing. All right. Uh, let's see. What do we have next? Oh. I guess we should probably talk about the Lexus RX, which was, you know, the other big thing out of <laughs> Toyota Palooza. Uh, <laughs> so there's there's a new Lexus RX coming later this year, uh, which we saw for the first time this week. Um, and, you know, the RX has been the best-selling Lexus pretty much since it debuted almost 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about the 2023 RX? No, I think you get to go first. I went okay, first so, on the other one. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. so let's preface this. You know, I wasn't as, there, as, so I don't have to talk at all. As, as usual, <laughs> you know, um, this was branded as an all-new, completely mm-hmm. redesigned RX. Mm-hmm. And to be fair to to Lexus, um, you know, it actually was new. Um, you know, there, it's actually significantly changed underneath. Um, but you probably couldn't tell from actually looking at it, mm-hmm. you know, except for, you know, some changes to the front end. Because most of it actually doesn't look that different from the current generation RX. So if you if you like the if you like the current generation Lexus RX, you'll probably be <laughs> fond of the new RX. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the like the Toyota the Toyota if it ain't broke, yeah. don't fix it. Uh, well, this this has been kind of a weird trend with with the Lexus brand over the last couple of years. Like they. The last couple of new vehicles that they launched, uh, the 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 new the current IS looks almost exactly the same as the old IS. Mm-hmm. The the new LX SUV 
doesn't look that different from the old LX SUV. And now the RX looks very much, I mean, it's got the same kind of greenhouse. You know, there's some subtle reshaping of the sheet metal, you know, the lower body sheet metal. The, the most notable difference is actually at the front uh, where the spindle grill that has been very controversial yeah. um, has been reshaped or it's been changed. So the top part of it is actually the spindle doesn't really go all the way up to the edge of the hood anymore. The mm -hmm. top part of it is more solid. And, and what you see when you look at it, it kind of looks like it's fading from a, a mesh or, you know, whatever the grill shape is in the lower part to a solid at the top, uh, which is kind of an interesting look. Um, you know, the, the bigger changes are actually on the inside where the dreaded uh, Lexus touchpad is finally gone. Yay! It's dead. It's history. No touchpad. I, yeah. I was finally getting used to it. No, we're not going to go. What? <laughs> I'm kidding. No one's ever been used to that. What thing. are you talking about? <laughs> um, under the hood, um, there's no longer a V6 in the RX. There's, you know, for, for the last four generations, there's always been a V6 powering the RX. No more. It's all four-cylinder engines now. Um, the base RX350 is a, uh, a 2.5-liter um, turbo four-cylinder. Uh, the RX 450H um, is um, a, a, a two-liter naturally aspirated four-cylinder uh, with a hybrid um, and uh, an electric rear axle, uh, much like uh, what they had before. So it's basically the same, or not not two-liter, it's a 2.5-liter. So it's basically mm -hmm. the same powertrain that you'll find in the Sienna and the Highlander hybrid. Um, and then there is also um, coming early next year, um, there is an RX 450H plus plug-in hybrid. Um, and, um, for the first time they, they've had the, the F sport, uh, trim on the RX for a while now, but it's always been just an appearance package. It's right. never actually been a performance upgrade. Now it finally will be because it's the RX 450 or sorry, the RX 500H F sport. Uh, performance, yes, that yeah, all all that stuff. All the all the letters you can numbers you can pack into one description possible. <laughs> yeah, so so that one combines the two point four liter turbo with the hybrid system, uh, so you have uh, something on the order of about three hundred and sixty seven horsepower, I think, and about four hundred foot pounds of torque. Uh, so it'll be a, a notable performance upgrade from the other RXs. Um, so what what were your thoughts on this, Nicole? I mean, I kind of had similar thoughts. It it didn't look. Um, it, you know, if you like the old one, you'll like the new one. Second verse, same as the first kind of thing. Um, but I do feel like I, the way they changed that grill up, that was kind of neat. I mean, because Lexus was all in with the, the spindle grill that was either loved or you hated. And it's like, oh, we've morphed this. So I thought it was a nice way to sort of kind of keep it, but not quite, you know. Yeah. Uh, because, it, you, like, how do you take a dramatic grill like that and, and make it stay, but make it work for a new vehicle, you know, like this? So I thought it was good. I, I, I think it's probably going to sell just as well as the old one, if not better, because it's an upgrade and it looks a little more modern and all these, you know, it's, but I, it's great. It was a lot of Toyota. How yeah. Toyota excited? It's just the, the Palooza. <laughs> it lost it in the Palooza. There was so much. <laughs> just a little overwhelming. Oh, it was Toyota. just like, here's the X trim and here's the Y trim and here's the Z trim and here's the Z section, sub subsection four, paragraph three trim. And I'm like, Oh, many. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry I missed that. Oh, I know you are. 
speaking of, of which, we probably should mention um, the the one other one that actually got people kind of excited, which is the GR Corolla Marizo Marizo edition. Marizo mm-hmm. um, is the uh, pseudonym that Akio Toyota uses when he goes racing. Uh, so when you see a race car with the name Marizo on it, uh, that's got Akio Toyota driving it. Uh, he's the president of Toyota um, and the heir to the, the founder. Um, and um, the Marizo edition takes the GR Corolla that you first saw a couple of months ago, um, rips out the uh, the back seats uh, and uh, the rear window regulators and some other stuff uh, and adds some additional um uh, reinforcements saves about a hundred pounds compared to the um, the other GR Corollas, uh, and also has about twenty foot pounds more torque. Still has the same three hundred horsepower from the one point six liter three cylinder turbo, uh, but gets a little bit of extra torque and various other things are retuned a bit to make it even more hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the launch year twenty twenty three, there are only going to be two hundred of them built. Uh, but it is something that we'll be carrying on beyond the first year of GR Corolla production. You know what doesn't have? Rear seats. You know why? Don't need them. Don't That's need right. them. Just See, like this is saying. like I feel where Toyota is really good. Like when they're, they're doing all like, let's sell the little sporty little things that people can like just have fun with. That it's not like, like we could design these really amazing, fun, fun cars to drive. Let's design more of those. I like yeah. that better than like the Sequoia thing. I think they're good at that. I think they do a good job yeah, with that. Yeah. And GR86 not everyone is, is yeah. amazing. The like they, that's a great like, little car. Exactly. This. Like they're the kind of cars you're like, oh, I will take this completely impractical car that I can't drive when the weather is not perfect. And I can only bring like one other person with me and they can't be tall. Like Roberto is not allowed to get in him. He can't fit. Wait, then- do I not fit in the Toyota Corolla? <laughs> Well, you do fit yeah, the Toyota yeah. Corolla, but I mean, they're All not right. the roomiest vehicles on the planet. Like, you know, it's not the roomiest vehicle you can buy. But I just say, like, there's there's a certain, like, I just want to get in a fun little car and have fun and drive and enjoy it. And they do a good job of that. I like it when they do that. Do more of that. Do Absolutely. Do more fun, Toyota. Do when, more when fun. Toyota, the, whoever's in charge of fun at Toyota is really good at fun. The fun guys. The, 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 the that, chief, that would be Akio. The fun the chief guys. Fun, yeah, Akio. You, good job with the fun, Akio. He's doing good job great. With the fun. <laughs> you make Toyota. You make Toyota's fun. fun. I like that. Okay. Uh, before we do the Q&A, I am going to drop in, in inter- one of the interviews that I did here. We've got, I did several interviews uh, this week at Toyota Palooza. Uh, which will be dropping into the next couple of episodes. Uh, the the first one here, uh, since we talked about the RX, uh, was with Andrew Gilliland, uh, who is the um, let me make sure he is the group vice president and general manager of the Lexus division in North America. Um, and so I had a chance to chat with Andrew. Um, the the sound quality is not as good as I would have liked because unfortunately. Uh, he had COVID, and uh, oh, so God. he did not actually come to the event. Oh, he was he was God. on uh, a video call with me in one of the the conference rooms at Toyota headquarters. Um, so, uh, but it's still we still had a good conversation about uh, where 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 the Lexus brand is going and and uh, some of the other things to expect in the coming years. So uh, I'll drop that in here, and then we will be right back with the Q and A. Gaming, you know, in D.C. of all places, they think, no, but the one place they'd like really be sensitive to all this stuff is... Yeah. All right. Um, well, 
Sam is here. Yeah. So if you're ready, we can, up, we can get started. I'm doing well. This has been a been a good event. I'm glad uh, we were able to get some time together to, to chat about uh, Lexus and kind of where, where the brand's going. Um, let's uh, let's start off with um, you know Lexus. The now the plan now for Lexus is to be all battery electric. Is it all battery electric or just all electric, which may include fuel cell by 2030? I think, you know, our, our vision is to be all electric. Um, so that may mean plug-in, right? Um, could mean hybrid, it could mean PUV. Okay. Um, and I think it's a, you know, obviously the market's going to really dictate this. This is really one of the big challenges I think all the manufacturers are dealing with is we're all saying, hey, we want to be battery electric, you know, 100% by 2030 or 2035, pick, pick a day. Um, but the reality is the consumers are really going to dictate that, right? I mean, some of it's going to be regulatory in nature, obviously. Um, so what, we are, what we've always said is we're going to sell to whatever the customer's demand is. Um, and so we will follow that. Um, that may again be driven by some government regulation and some things in our industry that will change over the next few years. Um, but it is a goal that we have, um, and we hope to, to achieve it. But at the end of the day, um, we're going to make sure that we sell to what consumers are desiring and demanding in the marketplace. So, uh, 2030 timeframe, all electrified would probably be a better better way of phrasing it then, and it could be whatever mix is, is the right mix for the market at that point. Yeah, I think that's a you have to set a goal and a target, right? Especially when the industry is transitioning the way it is, right? We've never seen this before. So you know, for us, you know, we want to you know, set a goal and have an objective and work towards it. But again, you know, it really a lot of it's gonna depend on what consumers are willing to buy. Um, and also, like I said, you know, what does the regulatory environment looks like you know, as it relates to greenhouse gas in the next five to 10 years. So, I mean, it's going to be a big challenge. I mean, you have raw material issues, you've got supply chain issues, um, you know, you have engineering issues, you have range issues, you've got the electrical grid issues. This is a really, I think you can look at it two ways. It could be, you know, to me, it's the very best time to ever be in the car business in the last 30 years because of the complexity of what we're going to have to work through, and I find that to be challenging. Um, or it's going to be really challenging is people aren't going to really like that. And I think it's going to be interesting to see the brands that are able to adapt, um, the companies that will be able to adapt to the environment that we're going to be putting, and the ones that won't. And it's going to be very interesting to, to see um, all that transpire over the next you know, eight to ten years. Um, Lexus has already had uh, a pretty good history of success, as has Toyota, with hybrid uh, vehicles, hybrid powertrains. Um, have you noticed any uh, shift over the, the past year, or particularly, I guess, the last six months or so, uh, as fuel prices have gone up? Have you seen uh, more of a shift towards those electrified powertrains? Yeah, I mean, you can't get through demand because of the supply chain, but, but clearly, if you're using our, our turn rates, our sales to availability rates, they're higher on hybrids um, and have been. It's particularly plug-in, so NX plug-in for, for Lexus. Um, we just can't get enough of them. I mean, we've got sold order lists. People are starting to understand, you know, the advantages of a plug-in. Um, you know, we've got customers that, you know, send me emails and say, hey, I've had this car for three months. I've put a tank of gas in it because they're driving less than 50 miles a day and, you know, full EV for a 
that are your biggest bottleneck right now or something else? It's motors, it's batteries, it's just general supply chain challenges. One of the interesting trends we've been seeing recently uh, across the industry is a lot of OEMs um, starting to invest more directly in, in a, lot of, a lot of these Fragile supply chain, supply or supply chain uh, bits like uh, you know the, the battery materials, the, the raw materials. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if this is something you can answer, or you know, maybe more at, you know at the Toyota level. Um, you know, Toyota's always had you know a very strong supply supply base. You know, uh, with its affiliates and, and partners. Um, but do you see um, expanding into um, you know some of the the materials um, production or extraction and processing uh, battery recycling as being something that uh, uh, the company will do to to help improve availability of these uh, technologies. You know, I'm probably going to leave that to Leanne to kind of answer for you. Um, yeah. For me, you know, I can tell you that I think we look at all that. You know, we just recently announced an investment in Greensboro on the plant on the right. battery manufacturing. Side. Right. Right. Um, so clearly, we are just like every other manufacturer, understanding um, of the, the need to go ahead and start to invest um, significant amounts of money. Again, we probably got every detail on that we could possibly ever want. Um, but then, you know, you, you've got to deal like you were mentioning. It's a global supply chain, and I think when you start yeah. to dig into where are these raw materials at, who controls them, um, there's some interesting questions that start to, to, to come up. Um, and, and those are questions are not for I think a manufacturer to answer as much as the you know the government. Quite frankly, um, where are these materials coming from? How do we extract them? How do we do it in the most efficient way? Um, are all going to be challenges that I think the industry and the industry trade groups are going to have to work collectively on? But I don't think there's any manufacturer that's not thinking about supply chain now. That doesn't mean that you know I think we want to get into mining. Um, I, that's just my personal opinion that. Yeah, Leanne will reel this in for you yeah. in a little while. <laughs> um, but it's, a, it's, you know, I think there needs to be much more of an understanding of what people, what, what it's going to require um, for us to be more electrified. And I'm not quite sure everybody has a good grasp on that. 
Like, like I said, just when you start to research where are all these raw materials at, um, there are some, some geopolitical issues that start to come up. Yeah. Right. Um, shifting a little bit uh, to the uh, the sales, uh, the retail side, as as, you, as we make this transition to more and more electrification, um, do you see Lexus um, changing its strategy at all? in terms of how it sells electrified vehicles going forward. You know, we've seen yesterday Jim Farley uh, talked at uh, the Bernstein conference uh, about um, doing all EV sales online and having non-negotiable pricing. Um, you know, other companies are looking at things like um, battery leasing uh, separate, uh, apart from the vehicle sale. Uh, is Lexus looking at different kinds of sales models as you go more electric? I mean, I think we're always going to be. Our, our strategy is to leverage our viewers. Um, our viewers are a competitive advantage for us. And I think, again, if you start to look into what dealers offer in the retail model, it's really quite compelling, whether it's physical plant, people, um, you know, you think about the payroll. Um, what some of these companies are trying to accomplish, I think, is going to be a big challenge at scale. Right? I mean, you've got to deal with all these things that I'm sure they're thinking about, mm -hmm. but you've got trade-ins, you've got people you've got to deal with, you've got service. I think some of these startup companies like you know, Rivian or other people that don't want a viewer network may find that to be a competitive disadvantage. We feel like our viewers are our competitive advantage, truly. Built-in distribution network that we're going to leverage um, and we're going to partner with. So for us, we've not had that discussion of doing direct selling. Um, you know, I think viewers are doing a lot of the things you would describe as a benefit of direct selling um, today, right? I mean, the pandemic's taught us a lot about how to deal with consumers um, and do much of the transaction electronically before they ever physically come into the store. But you know, if you're a consumer and you have a car and something's wrong. You're going to want to be able to go somewhere where there's an expert and somebody that knows you that's in your local community that can take care of you. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories from other brands where, you know, somebody's got a problem, they don't even know who to call right. or what to do. Um, you call Alexis. And go on Twitter and, and tweet at the uh, CEO. Right. <laughs> and I don't know what Elon's going to do. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we, you know, we have a extremely good relationship with our viewers. And our viewers have helped us become successful. I mean, they're such a core part of the Lexus brand particularly. You know, if you look at our covenant, you know, those values are kept by both us and the viewers, and we believe it's a competitive advantage to have the viewer involved. How, how do you uh, foresee um, the relationship with your dealers evolving uh, you know, as you get more electrified, uh, you know, one of the one of the challenges that we've long heard um, with consumers going into dealers wanting to buy an EV and being kind of steered away from the EV uh, because dealers maybe don't want to sell them uh, because because of the potential of losing out on service revenue on the back end because there's less maintenance required. How how do you see your relationship with dealers evolving? To help uh, um, help that transition, and you know, let them continue to be a viable business going forward. Yeah, we get a lot of these questions. You know, it's a math problem, right? 
right? So the average age of the fleet right now, depending on who you use, is 11 or 12 years old. So we've, we've been selling, um, it's Lexus division, call 300,000 per year. So you've got 3 million cars on the road um, that are going to need to continue to get serviced. If we stop building you know, ICE engines today, we still have 11 years worth of cars out there that we're going to need to service. So I think that's the first thing people aren't really putting into the business model um, or really doing the analysis. I mean, you're going to have internal combustion engines on the road for 20 years, 30 years. I, I don't know how, some, for some period of time. Probably at the, at the very least, yeah. Right, so if you start doing that math, right, and your dealers are getting 70% retention in terms of customers they're bringing in in the first six or seven years, there's a pretty strong business model still there. So we, I think our dealers are excited about selling electric vehicles. Uh, the, you can imagine the amount of research that we're doing about, you know, what does the maintenance of these vehicles look like? Um, and initially, the data that we've been able to capture is it's about 80% of an internal combustion engine. So it's not like there's zero maintenance on these vehicles. Um, it's a tire wear is probably the biggest one. Um, you know, conservative estimates is 15,000 miles. Um, and probably, you know, it may, may, may wear out sooner than that. So, you know, there's still wearable items on the vehicle that are going to need to be maintained um, that we see as, you know, again, a viable business source for our viewers. So, um, it's less. Anybody that tells you it's not less is probably not being straight with you, but it's not zero either. And so we'll work with the dealers to figure out, you know, different sources of revenue. Um, and the dealers are also always, you know, there's accessorization, there's aftermarket parts, there's all these other businesses that go on side of a dealer that aren't just strictly maintaining the vehicles. So we're looking at all that. I think everybody in the industry is, and, and we'll figure that out. And find a way to keep the dealers profitable, but you know I just keep going back to UIO. Toyota's been man, Toyota's been selling two million, around two million. So they got 20 million cars on the road, and those cars are going to need to be serviced. So I think that's something that gets missed in this conversation quite a bit, and we need to think about as a company is, you know, there's going to be all these different types of cars on the road that we're going to have to continue to maintain. So I think for the even the near, you know, not even the near term, mid to long term, there, there's a pretty significant service business out there still. Going back to, to sales for a moment, um, you know, with the, the tight inventories we've had over the past year, uh, I know some manufacturers have said that they've had a significant uptake, uh, uptick in uh, customers doing factory orders as opposed to buying out of inventory, especially when there is no inventory. Um, how... How, uh, you know, across the industry, it's traditionally in the U.S. has been mostly people buying out of inventory as opposed to factory orders. Is, is that also true for Lexus? And have you seen any shift in that mix of people ordering vehicles to make sure they can get one uh, as opposed to buying from whatever inventory there is? Well, there's no inventory, so yeah. everything's sort of a sold order. But it's, it's usually not a a factory order per se, it's inbound units. Okay. You know, I think Lexus and Toyota have been known for their discipline around production um, and building, you know, instead of 10 variations, um, building three. And it's a very, you know, vague explanation, but, but we've always been uh, much more acutely aware of what consumers are looking for in the marketplace, and so our build breadth is much smaller, and so usually we can 
because customers see it online and everything's connected in our world, right? In the metaverse, like we only show what we're building. Um, you can spec a car out if you want a special order of car. We will be more than happy to do that. It's about a 90 to 120 day wait. But we're seeing most customers taking um, sold orders on, excuse me, dealers taking sold orders on inbound products that we're already building. So it's not really an order to do a delivery. And that's just, it's always been that way. Mm -hmm. We've always had a lower day supply model. So our dealers, I think when this all started, our dealers, quite frankly, were much more prepared for it than some other brands. Because that's the way we've always run our model at less than 30 days. Um, so what, you know, assuming we get past this uh, inventory uh, strength, do you think that it will go back to that 30 days that you've traditionally had? Or... Um, will dealers maybe start start carrying less inventory going forward? It'll be less inventory. Okay. For sure. I mean, the model works for us, works for them. Mm -hmm. um, and when that happens and the manufacturer's happy and the dealer's happy, that's probably a good place to be. So, you know, our dealers have been pretty consistent in asking us to manage our inventory levels. Um, and we, we will do that. Again, we've always really, frankly, we've done that in the past. We, we've never been a 60-day you know, much less 100, 120 days supply some of the other brands have. So, yes, there will be a lower day supply model that we'll continue to try to manage. Um, but again, you know, it, you, you're not dealing with a, you know, a small enterprise, so like we could have that goal and then the market change or we have economic activity like we have now going on that, you know, could cause demand to slow down to the point it would take us 90 days to, to rebalance that. So it's always, a, it's a constant challenge. But we are committed to our dealers to carry a lower stock level um, than previous to the pandemic, and, and we're happy to do that. Um, going a little different direction, uh, as you start to um, deploy technologies like Teammate on the LS and other more advanced uh, driver assist systems, as well as electrification and uh, some of the, the connected systems, um, are are you working with dealers to um, try to improve the training, make, make, make sure that the, the sales staff are more knowledgeable about the technology and that they can educate the customers when they come in? Uh, because I know, you know a lot of people don't, you know, drive away in a new car and don't understand the technology that's in there. My own experience you know, with various manufacturers has been you know, they often don't really know very much about what they're, what they're selling. So... Is that something that Lexus is trying to address? Yeah, for sure. I mean, these cars are, you know, massively sophisticated. I mean, I work at the company and I struggle with it, right? So, yes, it is something that we've spent an inordinate amount of time on um, is developing curriculum to try to help the dealers. We have specific positions within the store um, that we've asked the dealers to hire for, you know, these Lexus diagnostic specialists. Um, they go by different names, technology specialists, but yes, um, the majority of our stores have a specialist um, that deals with some of these sophisticated technology. But you know what? And I, this is a great question for you. Like you're, you know, you're a younger guy. Like when you can't figure something out, where, where do you go? <laughs> uh, I uh, I usually end up calling somebody at uh, one of the companies that I'm dealing with to you know talk to an engineer. But I, you know, I'm in kind of a, a, an odd position as you know both a uh, you know, a journalist as, as an industry yeah, analyst. Let's, let's say you can't call somebody that you know at a company. Like, when something ain't working in your house, where do you go? Uh, go online, you know, Google and right. start start searching for it. 
You go to YouTube yeah. every time. Right? When's the last time you pulled out an instruction manual? Right. Like, I used to, not anymore. First thing I do is, let me go look at YouTube. So the other thing, the reason I bring this up, is we are looking to content um, you know, Lexus.com in a more robust way with many of these technologies because we have found, especially with the newer consumers, younger consumers we're bringing in, that they're going to the internet. Um, and if we can create engaging content through our engineers and people, like you have an engineer talking about teammate and how it engages and when it engages and what conditions it engages, we found that that is better than, in many cases, um, the experience that consumers are getting at the time of delivery. Because at some point, the consumers have been there two hours, they're like, look, man, I'm out of here. I got, I, I've got other things to do. And then they get home and go, wait a minute, what did that person tell me? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, you know, that's normal, right? It's natural. So, you know, we're all, especially in luxury, there's a huge transition occurring with Gen X, Y, and Z that we talk about all the time. And you've probably heard us talk about during the HQ Confidential. So we need to start thinking about how do those consumers consume information, right? Where do they go to get it? And then we create it and put it in a place where they can find it. So, you know, we've got a strong um, desire to, to create a very robust um, tier one website, you know, like a microsite where people can go find out about our cause. And the other thing it allows us to do, if somebody comes in and talks to a Lexus diagnostic specialist or a technology specialist, we don't know. We need Lexus. Uh -huh. They go online and we can see what they're looking at and clicking at. Okay, now we can start to optimize what we're doing in our efforts because we can see that Andrew and five million other people went to this particular part of a piece of content. So we know that that's a place where we need to continue to increase, whether it's technical information, marketing information, something about us or about the car. So that's really been a huge initiative for us internally to work on. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's that's great to hear. You know, I think you know people will, will really appreciate that uh, as they start to get these technologies in their new vehicles. Um, we're just about out of time. Uh, any last thoughts that you know should be thinking about for for Lexus as it goes into the these next several years of transition? Yeah, I mean, we have heard this. I, mean, I tell everybody, I, I think the the best five to ten years of Lexus are in front of us. And the reason I say that is because of the products that we have coming. So it really started with IS, you know, it's been followed up with NX, which have been very, very successful with younger people. Um, obviously the LX has been a home run, we can't get enough of them, what a great flagship. Um, RX you saw, just a complete home run, and we've got some products that we'll be sharing later this year with viewers and, and we'll be launched next year that really are equally exciting. So, you know, I think Lexus, is not the, the boring car for your parents anymore, uh, quite frankly. It's exciting, it's vibrant, um, the products are great, and with you know Koji Sato, who I hope you had a chance to, to listen to, I mean, what yeah. a dynamic you know, personality. And to have a chief engineer running Lexus that built a car like the LC, um, I think that sort of informs where, where we are. We're, we're car people. Um, so this is gonna be fun. I'm, I'm lucky to be sitting here. Um, and to be a part of it. So I think the future is really bright for Lexus. Exciting the word I would use. Yeah, I was thinking earlier this morning that it, it, it's very interesting. I'm old enough to remember the, the original Lexus commercials from 1990 when you, the original LS launched. 
that uh, ad with the champagne glasses sitting on the, the engine, uh, you know, and it was so smooth, you know, they poured the champagne, nothing, nothing was vibrating, and, you know, thinking that, you know, as you transition to an electric future, um, you know, that's even more, I mean, that takes that to the ultimate extreme, because you, you have no vibration or, or noise from any of that, and it, you know, it seems like it's a, a perfect fit for, you know, where the Lexus brand started. Yeah, I mean, we've always been the pinnacle of engineering, and I don't say that in an arrogant way, that's a fact. Um, and I think when you take that and then you add in the excitement of the design and the emotion that we're starting to get in our vehicles, along with interesting things like electrification and maybe not just BEV, um, certainly, you know, hybrid powertrains produce more torque, there's more performance, there's more fun to drive. Um, you know, I think, again, we've always been the QDR brand. That's Toyota's bread and butter. Um, but now we're starting to see excitement in design and driving and technology that we haven't had in the past. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of cool products that come out of it. You know, we're not all going to be driving BBVs in the next five years, so I'm, I'm pretty confident that, you know, we, we have a bright future in front of us as we move to that future. All right, well, thank you for your time, Andrew. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, hope, hope you feel better. Okay. Uh, so, listener questions this week. Um, Fozzie B asks, what uh, what are your general thoughts on the VinFast EVs? Also curious on your thoughts about battery subscriptions. I would like to see VinFast EVs, and I think there's a question as to when they, when if will we see them? Do you think we'll see them? Are they really going to happen here? I, I mean, they're they, huge. They said, over they said there. they'll be here next year. They have a lot of capital. I mean, they, they have, have lots have this, of the money. They have yes. lots and lots of money, so I think it's going to happen. I don't know about. Uh, the U.S. market and battery subscriptions, though, especially when now that we're, you know, 10, 12 years into EVs, mm -hmm. like, batteries just don't fail as much as people think they do. Mm -hmm. I think it's perhaps not quite so much about uh, battery failure as trying to make the EVs more affordable. But um, is it more affordable if you're still paying for it? Well, it, dep <laughs> it depends on how much they reduce the, the purchase price of the vehicle. Uh, you know, if they if they can bring that price down to you know a, a more affordable level, and you know, I mean, the the thing the thing with a battery subscription, you know, as as you as you said, you know, batteries are not failing the way we thought they might a decade a decade ago. They're actually lasting quite a long time, and so for the manufacturers, you know, at the you know after ten years or or something, you know, there's mm -hmm. There's still value in that battery to the manufacturers. They can take that battery out of the vehicle and put it into uh, a stationary storage application or some other type of second use application, you know, and use it there for a few years before it gets recycled. Um, so, you know, because of that that long-term value that the battery has to the manufacturer, you know, they could ideally, if they're going to do subscriptions, you know, they can reduce the price of that subscription subscription so that the co the combination of the battery subscription and the you know the monthly payments on the car are less than what hopefully less than what we're paying for EVs today where you're mm -hmm. just buying the whole thing you know again that's all theoretical we don't know exactly how much they're going to charge for this stuff um, well i think know, the the subscription if for if you're under 310 miles it's $35 for the v VF8 if you're okay. driving the VF9, it's forty-four dollars a month for three hundred ten, you know, 
if you're less than 310 miles. If you want to 310 go miles of range or a month. That's three, a monthly. Three, so you so three hundred miles a month. So you get to drive three hundred miles a month. Yeah, you were really excited until I said that, weren't you? <laughs> three hundred. Let's say three hundred and ten miles That's, a month. No. And, wait a minute. No. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. 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 So there's okay. two tiers. This is the first tier. Three hundred miles a month. Thirty-five dollars. Forty-four dollars. If you want unlimited, it's a hundred and ten dollars a month for the VF8. And $160 a month for the VF. Oh, okay. See, that, that, I mean, unless the, you know, the monthly payment on the car, you know, unless you can, unless you can get that, that vehicle for, you know, let's say $25,000, you know, and have, mm-hmm. you know, a $200 a month payment or something or $250 right. a month payment, um, you know, that, it's good, that's going to be a tough sell. Yeah, because the VF8 starts so. at $40,000, $40,700. Yeah, okay. The VF9 no, starts at $55,500. So it's, yeah. I mean, even with the, the you know, you get your, 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 your federal tax incentive and all that stuff. It's still just like, but, uh, and, you know, you, you get free battery maintenance. Okay. And, uh, and a free replacement once the battery uh, loses, it degrades below 70%. But that doesn't. But that's just, like, which is like it just just. I feel like that's only going to matter. But you know what though? As I say this, the number of things you see when people comment about EVs, just the general public about EVs online, a lot of people don't get that the battery doesn't just like go poof and stop working right after you know two. Charges. I mean, sometimes it does go poof. And well, yeah. All <laughs> I mean, we have that whole bolt thing. <laughs> that aside. The actual poof, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't think uh, some people I genuinely don't think get it's that not, it's not an issue. It's not like an engine know. that can seize up if you never change the oil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I'm it's not going to mention a... another word about my kid. Oh, my uh... God. Oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know, the battery subscription thing. It's it's a tough. I feel like it's going to be a tough sell here. And yeah, I, I think it, eventually there's. They say I think they're going to eventually have a vehicle without the subscription thing, but it's unless unless you're the kind of person who's going to be like just driving like a, a, an animal. You're going to be like yeah. I mean, if DC you're going to drive 50, charging, 60, 70 thousand miles a year. Yeah, if you're DC fast charging every time to a hundred percent, you get in that car. Yeah, go for it. Get the subscription. But also, if you do that, you're probably going to hit the warranty anyway, and they'll have to change your, you know, if you get a Hyundai or a Tesla or whatever, you're, you know, you're gonna, they're gonna have to replace your battery. <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah, it all, it all depends on the economics and how the numbers work out. I mean, it, it could theoretically be good, uh, but based on what we've seen of VinFast so far, doesn't look promising for the subscription model, um, and. To be honest, you know, from what we've seen of the VinFast vehicles at the New York Auto Show, you know, the quality didn't look great. Yeah, they're yeah. new. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. They're yeah, not I mean, we'll new here. They like they're, they're, they're like not new here. Been, they've been making. They're been new making... here, but they've been doing this forever in. Um, yeah. They've been Vietnam. building off of Vietnam. Uh, Thank BMWs. you. I lost the country in Vietnam. They've using, so they've been building vehicles off the BMW platform. So All right. They've been building cars. So yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. So um, Steve Levine uh, had a question about uh, the Bolt and Ultium. Uh, will uh, will the Bolt carry on through the decade, and will it have Ultium? Um, I doubt it. Um, I don't think so. I feel like that car is just like it's here for now, and they'll be more than happy to like sort of 
toss it aside once they have something that's Ultium and can be new and has a cool new name and it won't be associated with fire. <laughs> I mean, uh, unless unless there is a sudden resurgence of um, small car sales in the U.S. market, I have a hard time believing that the Bolt, at least, you know, maybe the EUV, you know, maybe a new version of the EUV, but uh, the the regular Bolt, um, you know. I can't see that living on, you know, more than a couple of years past the introduction of the Equinox EV next year. So, you know, I, I would, you know, by 2025, you know, the Bolt is going to be eight years old. Um, wow. And I, I seriously doubt that they will, you know, they, they may, they may do a redesigned Bolt EUV that is, you know, even more crossover like, but the, the, the standard Bolt, I, and, and when they do that, then it'll be an Altium. Uh, but I don't think that the the original bolt will is likely to carry on. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to go bye bye. It's not yeah. locked for this world. If you want a small EV, you're going to have to look to Mini. Yeah, or Kona. Or Kona. Kona. Yeah. The Kona. 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 Um, Kona. Alan Patton asks. Um, I appreciated Robbie detailing his EV range testing method. That got me thinking of how NHTSA determines range and EMP. EM, it's it's actually MPGE ratings for EVs. Uh, do you have any insights or experience with this? Um, yeah, so actually it's not NHTSA that does it. Uh, EPA is the one that actually does uh, the certification of emissions and fuel economy. Um, NHTSA does the, the calculations of corporate average fuel economy and enforcement of that. Um, and actually they don't even do, the EPA doesn't even do the testing. That's actually done by the manufacturers. We have a a process of self-certification here in the U.S. market uh, where manufacturers actually do the testing and they submit the paperwork to EPA. Um, EPA looks it over, and sometimes, you know, on some small percentage of new vehicles, they will actually do, uh, they'll request a vehicle from the manufacturer and do their own testing to verify. Uh, but, you know, that is only about 15% of new vehicles. Mm -hmm. uh, so most are only tested by the manufacturers. Um and the way they test them is the same way that they test gasoline and diesel vehicles. They use the exact same drive cycles, um, and they put them on a dyno. Uh, well, they do coast-down testing on the track first to determine the, the aerodynamic drag and rolling resistance and everything. Um, and they use that to, to calibrate the dynamometer, put it on the dyno, and they run it through the, EP, the city drive cycle and the highway drive cycle. Um, until and they keep doing that until the battery is completely depleted and they figure out how many miles it drove on a charge and then the MPGE actually comes there's a uh, there's a formula that's used it's, it's part of um, a model developed by the uh, national let's see was it uh, Oak Ridge I think it was or Oak Ridge Brothers uh, yeah. no, no the Oak, <laughs> Oak, wait what Oak, Oak Ridge National Lab. <laughs> Um, it was one of it was one of the national labs developed a model called GREET, uh, which is an acronym that I can't remember what it stands for now. But basically, it's an energy equivalence model between different fuels. Um, so, uh, a, one gallon of gasoline uh, has the energy equivalent of, of 33.7 kilowatt hours. Um, and so, if you know how many kilowatt hours per mile an EV gets you can translate that into miles per gallon equivalent uh, based on the uh, on that energy equivalence formula. So that's how they come up with those. And then the almost all the automakers for two 
there's an adjustment factor that they have to come in because they know that real-world testing on a dyno isn't real-world testing. Um, and so t everyone else uses one adjustment factor. And then two companies, uh, that there might be more actually at this point, um, they use an additional adjustment factor, which gives them five tests on the dyno. And that is uh, Tesla and uh, Lucid because they are battling to be the best. The best um, but uh, if we, if there's any uh, indication from Tesla, Tesla's in real world tests for EV, like when a lot of people, magazines, publications, whoever, uh, Teslas don't always quite make it to their, uh, to their range. While other automakers, their vehicles will hit the range or do better, especially Volks, the Volkswagen group, which, you know, I think they're just gun shy, but they actually go with the lower numbers. Yeah. <laughs> So it's uh, so so. To your answer is we have zero insight on MP on <laughs> none zero nada. Yeah. The yeah tes Teslas typically fall about anywhere from twenty to thirty percent short of their EPA label range numbers compared to in, like in real world driving, whereas most other manufacturers uh, beat or meet or exceed those numbers. Like mm -hmm. the the Porsche Taycan, which when it first came out. I complained quite a bit about you know why it was only rated at 204 miles of range or something like that, but in most in the, the real world testing it usually gets somewhere close to somewhere between 270 and 280 miles, uh, so it beats it quite handily. So it's it's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. All right, Brent Barenshausen asks, uh, I'm betting automakers, I'm begging automakers to stop making sedan EVs only their super fast, expensive flagship models. Some of us still want an affordable mid-size EV sedan to daily drive. Um. I'm thinking of something. <laughs> Maybe Buick will have something, the Electra. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I doubt it. I mean, I would want... I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Bryn. I want to see more yeah. sedans, EV sedans. Um, probably come from Hyundai, to be honest. Yeah. Because Hyundai is well, like... I would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the Hyundai Ioniq uh, 6, the Ioniq 6 is coming out this fall um and that is like a sonata sized sedan um so that is probably you know the one you'll want to be looking for and i wouldn't be su surprised kia hasn't said anything about it yet but I, it wouldn't surprise me if they did something similar as well um so that there's at least one that's coming um and we'll we'll probably see some others over the next couple of years um you know maybe one of the buicks might uh, might fit in that category although i haven't seen any indication from gm that they're going to do any buick sedans for at least for the north american market uh they certainly will in china uh, where sedans are still much more popular mm -hmm. so i mean it all comes down to what people are actually buying and that's why they're not going with sedans as fast everyone you know the whole crossover suv craze that's where they're going that direction because that's where people are going yep. they'll start you know if it so blame your fellow car buyers for that one yeah <laughs> Okay, um, Daryl asks, what was your worst car review as far as driving, tech, just a bad vehicle, etc." The, uh, the Nissan Versa Note. Really? I hated that little thing. It was okay. just, it felt like such a tin can. I mean, I know it was affordable, but like there are very few cars when I've gotten, in fact, that might be the only one when I got it as a press, not the Versa, the Versa Note. When I got it It was as, the hatchback. Yeah, 
when I got that as a press car, I happened to have a very long drive. Like I was driving to the Cape or something. I was all excited to take the press car. And I'm like, nope, I'm not driving that. <laughs> I, my, I literally left it behind. I'm like, no, I don't feel comfortable. I don't even feel like safe. It felt so nothing. It felt so tinny and so cheap. I was like, I don't, I, yeah, that was my least favorite. That's, that's the one that I thought was really terrible. Sorry, Nissan, I love you. And I like the Versa as a nice little affordable compact car, but the Versa Note, no thank you. What about you, Robbie? Oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's that <laughs> that car that looks like an old-timey car that came out in the 90s. Oh, it's like a little SUV. God damn it. It's the same time as the Prowler. Uh, all I can think is this Prowler. It's not the Prowler. The other one. The one that everyone bought. The, the one. That oh, the PT Cruiser? Oh, the PT Cruiser. PT Cruiser. I had that as a rental car once. It was the terrible. Worst. So my this is before I was I was uh, an automotive journalist. This, I was like I was a college student. I was a film student, and a friend of mine was a videographer. And he had a, I, we lived in San Francisco. We had to drive to L.A. to do a job. He wasn't feeling well. He asked me to come along, and just in case he wasn't feeling well, I could do the job for him. Cool. He's like, I rented us a car. Cool. I got the PT Cruiser. Cool. There's lots of room. We could drive the PT Cruiser. Within five miles of driving that, he couldn't. <laughs> he didn't even feel well enough to drive. Within five wow. miles of driving that car, I absolutely hated it. I wow. hated it so much. Everything about that car, I'm like, it doesn't know what it wants to be. It's uncomfortable. There's no, you can't see out the rear windows. <laughs> like everything about this car is horrible. And every time I see one on the road, I'm like, you have been scammed. <laughs> <laughs> you poor not, sucker you you probably shouldn't talk to my next door neighbor does he have a pt cruiser she she has uh she just bought a, a new one or a newer one to replace oh, the the, the old one, one that was worn out i'm she sure she bought it. she bought a 2010 uh like Wait. one of the last ones and then she bought another one did i follow well, she, right? she had she had a 2003 or four Oh. And um, bought bought a 2010 like six eight months ago. Do you not like this neighbor? Did you not share with her that she was making a mistake? People love the PT Cruiser. <laughs> yeah, I some people it. really uh... like it. There are people they they I fix do like them her. up. She's she's very nice. You know, talk I do time. like her. Look at her defending. I do but, like her. She just likes a weird. You know, car. I I had I had recommended that she might want to take a look at the Maverick. Uh, that oh, you know, it man. would be you know a good choice because she uses no. it to to take her dogs to the dog park, and she's got a or had two very large dogs. Um, unfortunately, one of them died recently. Oh. Uh, but um, the you know the Maverick, I I thought you know would have been a perfect car for her, uh, but she went for a people love what PT, they love twelve year old PT Cruiser. Mm. Um, people so, love it. I I like towed the wet sprocket. What are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> So my my worst review um, was the 2009 Chevy Aveo 5, um, which I reviewed for Autoblog oh, back in 2009. Aveo. Um, yeah. Wow. This this was uh, a little Korean built hatchback, um, and the fact that it's Korean is is actually irrelevant. But you know, it was built by Daewoo, uh, GM's uh, Korean division, um, and um, you know it was. It was not good. <laughs> it was, it was a car, and that's where it ended. Good. It operated under its own power, um, you know. But you know, at, at the time, you know, my daughter, um, my old, our older daughter, had uh, a uh, a two thousand eight Honda Fit Sport, oh, and you that's know a good this car. this uh, 
this this the avail um you know i want to say this you know this one had the automatic transmission had um the uh the vinyl seats you know which were optional instead of the uh, <laughs> instead oh, of the uh instead the cloth of, seats instead yeah, of just so this burlap was, this sacks was, this was this was the up level <laughs> version okay and in january 2009 this thing was was priced at $17,610. Wow. Which was more than the Honda Fit Sport at that time. Wow. And the Honda was such a vastly better car than this in every conceivable way. <laughs> it was quicker. It was better handling. It was better looking. Um, it was roomier. Um, and, in fact, you know, at the, you know, at this time, you know, in 2009, you could have bought uh, a low mileage, two year old, you know, used Fit Sport, for um, you know a couple of grand less than this, and you would have had a much better car with better fuel efficiency. Yeah, it only got, it was only rated <laughs> at twenty five miles per gallon city and thirty four highway, you know, for a small car, which was kind of mediocre. Um, yeah, oh, so. it's just they're phoning wow. it in. They're just phoning it in. <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, the others do you know, to, to, to be oh. fair, you know, less than a year later, they replaced the Avail with the Chevy Spark, which was a much, 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 much better car. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I mean, compared to the Avail. It was, I mean, <laughs> compared, actually, compared, no. I like it qualifies. I mean, compared the, the spark, to the Avail. Spark was, the Spark was actually a decent car. Yeah, the Spark was um, fine. The, the Avail was not. Um, the Avail so, was, yeah. 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 Uh, Man, that PT, I'm still angry about that PT Cruiser. Every once in a while, <laughs> someone, will be like, like someone will say, PT Cruiser is good, and I'll immediately, no! I, I don't want to tell, the, you know, I don't want to yuck on someone's yum. Okay, well, that, you know, that's, that's, you, that's, 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 you know, that's the thing with, with my neighbor. neighbor. Exactly. Yeah, I don't that's yuck why, I don't want to, if you love the PT Cruiser, wonderful. I'm happy that you are happy. I'm happy that, that they made them. I'm, I'm happy that the people who built them had jobs. I'm, you know, yeah. the dealership. It gets her, those... it gets her and Duke to the, the dog park, yeah. you know, safely, you know, reliably. But I absolutely hate that car. Just absolutely. <laughs> I, I think, when did, when did I, I think I reviewed the PT Cruiser. Actually, not long after I did the Avail. <laughs> Were you in oh trouble? Oh my God. Did, auto, no, did you anger the auto blog gods? <laughs> <laughs> all right um adam j uh is more of a comment here uh can, can we please applaud gm for including delivery charge and the listed price of the vehicle let's get that trending yeah we mentioned that earlier hey. when we were talking about the bolt um and that that is a good thing you know and i think you know everybody should be doing that you know whatever price that they show uh, you know in their advertising and marketing should include that 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 price mm-hmm. um uh, okay, finally, Fozzie B. Um, oh, wait. Didn't we, we already we answered that one. You this. put things yeah. in twice, okay. so that's Sorry. the end. Sorry, that one twice. Up. So that's you it. You got a carried away. We're all, all done. That's Yay. it. Yay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, PT Cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, PT Cruiser. All right. Thank you very much, everybody, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from, or we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs> Bye, Bye. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.